Well, U.S. confidence seems to be building whilst Europe is still in the doldrums. Why so much confidence in the U.S.? Well, maybe it's the prospect of a visit to Washington by President Xi. What's the problem in Europe? Well, maybe mounting debt is part of it. And today, well, there's a lot going on. So rather than me telling you that now, let's just get on with it. It is the morning call from NAB. It's Friday, the 29th of September, 2023. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is falling for once. It's down 0.4% on the DXY, helping the Aussie climb 1.1%, up over 64.20 this morning. The pound is up half a percent, 0.6% for the Swiss franc and the euro. The Japanese yen is up 0.3%. And share prices have moved up 0.8% for the NASDAQ, 0.6% for the S&P 500. All of this at close and 0.4% for the Dow. The Russell 2000 kicks higher by 0.9%. The big winners, cars and computers, basically. Uh, equities higher in Europe as well. The US dollar. Fox 50 and the DAX both at 0.7%. And uh, the move up in bond yields, well, that has stalled in the United States. 10-year treasuries were up seven basis points earlier. They've lost all of those and are down three basis points now on the day, down to 4.57%. But European yields are higher, up 13 basis points for 10-year gilt yields, almost to 4.5%. German 10 years reached 2.98% overnight, which is a 12-year high. Italian bond yields much higher as well. We'll come on to that. And finally, oil has backed off today after the rapid rise yesterday. WTI is down 2%. Brent down 1.4%. Still well over 95 a barrel, though. So this divergence in bond yields, first of all, between the US and Europe, in particular the US and the UK, uh, NAB's Rayatral is with me today, and between the US and Australia, because it looks like Aussie yields are still rising as well, up around 4.53% this morning for 10 years. So 10-year gilts, uh, uh, Ray, we're up 20 basis points at one stage, but we've got fee- uh, yields falling in the United States. So here we are, two continents, and we are seeing them in uh, heading off in opposite directions. It's like a tectonic movement this morning, Ray. We seem to be. Yeah, good morning, Phil. And um, and you're asking a foreign exchange analyst to make to unpack some pretty diverse moves in bond yields, as you say, uh, particularly on the on that that gilt side, as you say, big moves there. And I'm so, you know, scratching my head a little bit looking at the news wires. I did see that we had um, one of the Bank of England uh, newbie, um, Ms. Green, was speaking. And um, uh, I was Megan Green, she was one of the uh, policymakers who voted for a rate hike uh, previously. So, um, you know, hawkish comments shouldn't be a surprise in that sense. And she did talk uh, this morning on climate change and saying it may be a significant supply shock. Um, but I, I'd be hard-pressed, I mm. think, to, um, you know, to pin the scale of, of the move that we've seen in gilts quite on that. I would say in general, you know, it's it's sort of coming into month end, quarter end, it's half year end from Japan. So there's always a risk of over-interpreting moves that we do see, you know, right at the end of those sort of important accounting dates. Um, You know, that said, um, you know, you mentioned um, the Eurozone, France and Italy in particular. France, I think, is up um, eight. Germany's up eight or or nine. And um, and Italy is up up more than that, so 11, 12. Um, And and on that, it does look like, you know, the indications on the next Italian budget have certainly unsettled the bond market there. Um, they're showing well, you yes, know, rising absolutely. deficits. So, there's, con- there's obviously concern relating to that of whether the Maloney government is prepared 
um, you know, to put in place the sorts of actions that would uh, qualify Italy for the next uh, stage of payments under the sort of post-pandemic reconstruction fund. So I think that is, um, you know, issues about fiscal discipline are clearly, you know, weighing on the Italian market and uh, latest yeah. fr- French well, budget their, news. Their prediction, their prediction was that uh, their budget was going to come in at uh, 4.5% of uh, GDP. That was the target set in April. And now they're saying it's going to be 5.3% of GDP. And they had a, a 3 billion euro sale of 10-year bonds uh, pushing much higher. Uh, they came in at 4.93% was the yield they fetched versus 4.24% last month. So Italian debt, it's looking like it could become a real problem for the ECB. No, absolutely, and uh, and 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 ditto France. I think the France numbers have, uh, are well into the fours as well. Uh, in the good old days, remember the before the pandemic, and uh, soon after the monetary union was formed, three percent was the hard limit on uh, on budget deficits that anybody in the eurozone could run. Obviously, they've been uh, they've been relaxed for the political convenience of various governments over the years, but uh, at the moment, the trends are, are clearly sort of you know unhelpful, if you like, and uh, say I mean, to the extent that you know fiscal policy is going to be easier than otherwise then yes at the margin you say that um you know that potentially has implications for the confidence or otherwise that we should have uh, in the ecb necessarily having been done tightening with uh, the latest move well while we're talking about europe i mean there's a big lot going on today so we'll be a bit all over the place uh but what about the uh, we got the first bit of inflation data didn't we for germany for september uh which actually showed inflation has slowed a bit more than expected i did so uh, yeah point two on the um the german eu harmonized measure the consensus was 0.3. Uh, and in year-on-year terms, it's actually come down uh, two-tenths to 4.3%. Uh, now, remember, we do have some fav- very favourable uh, base effects coming through there. I think this is results of the fallout of the you know, the big German um, railway subsidies that were in place uh, back yeah. in, I think, though, back in July last year. So we had a big jump up in CPI last August as, as those uh, the effect of that ran out. So, um, But it's also good. we're also going to see so some energy price base effects as well. Uh, and we'll get the EU uh, numbers later tonight, I think, with also France mm. and Italy, etc. The Spanish ones also came in a little bit lower than expected, even more so in core. Well, so, what about Belgium? And we don't talk about Belgium very often, but they actually came in negative, minus 0.7% actual deflation happening. Right. Well, Belgium, uh, you know, it, it punches above its weight. It's considered to be sort of the economy that straddles north and south uh, of the Eurozone and uh, can be seen as perhaps mm. the most representative uh, uh, economy overall of the eurozone. So yes, yeah, so you know certainly we were saying at the beginning of the week that um, you know or, or last week after the ECB, we do think it's you know policymakers are you know are, are unwise to be saying we're necessarily done on rates, but certainly these inflation numbers you know are supportive of the view that um, the ECB can certainly afford to sit on its hands for the next couple of meetings. Right, and you're going to say about the uh, the, the eurozone wide CPI number today. So now we, I mean we've got a large chunk of it. So what what's that going to tell us today anything extra well 0.5 percent is the consensus for the monthly rise and that was made before those german and spanish numbers so the chances are the so-called whisper number would probably be on the low side of 0.5 but even 0.5 would see the um the the year-on-year core rate down to 4.8 from 5.3 and the headline i think to 4.5 from 5.2 so uh something closer to 5.0 um you know wouldn't be terribly surprising after those uh, country Mm. numbers from germany and spain so uh, bond yields rising in Australia as well. Uh, we we haven't had a lot of data, although we did have the retail sales numbers, didn't we? Which uh, I don't know were they they were pretty much as expected, weren't they? Although some parts were stronger, we were spending more time sitting in cafes uh, because of the unseasonally warm weather, presumably. 
August also had Afterpay Day. Uh, th- th- apparently, that has some impact. They've got 3.3 million customers in Australia. Uh, don't quite get what all the fuss is about, but that will have influenced it as well. So just briefly, what else can we take out from that yesterday? Yeah, I mean, the, the other you know, the other thing that the statistician noticed, you mentioned the weather. So they did say that the uh, the warmer than seasonal weather did, did did have an impact on boosting some discretionary spending, as you say, with the cafes and restaurants, but also clothing and footwear. Uh, and there was also an impact from the World Cup still. So, um, mm. oh, yeah. you know, buying buying those Matilda shirts at a discount. But um, there was, uh, yeah, the statisticians thinks there was certainly a, a boost from uh, from activity in general uh, relating to that. So in that sense, the sort of 0.2% number, which was just on the, the mm. soft side of expectations, wasn't too flash. Right. So yields going higher, presumably because everyone's thinking central banks have still got more to do. And then all of a sudden, this about change in, uh, in the US, which is driven by confidence. But what is that confidence? So there's a few things going on. There's the uh, UAW strike. There's been a move forward in that, in that they are seemingly accepting a 30% pay increase instead of 40%. That still seems rather a lot. And they still want uh, some form of pension scheme into it. They want a four-day week. They want to end employment tiers. So those hired, sort of more recently younger workers get the same sort of deal as those who've been around for a long time. So it sounds like there's a lot of uh, negotiations still to go on that. Uh, and uh, but perhaps the big news is uh, what the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the President Xi may well be coming to America. He, he's after he's you know he's hopefully going to go to a leader a Asia Pacific Leaders Conference in San Francisco in November, but may come and meet Biden in Washington after that to try and improve relations. Well, that could be a game changer. No, certainly. But I think that those, those um, two snippets of news, if, if they're showing up in markets, it seems to be more evident in equities. So we've mm. got the um, you know I mean the Nasdaq's outperforming the S and P, but that's what you expect in a day when bond yields have fallen rather than rising but um you know we have got the first decent rally that we've seen in the s&p 500 for uh you know for quite some time we were sort of flat yesterday down monday tuesday wednesday um so the, that seems to be an influence there um <clears throat> why the bond market has recorded we've come a long way haven't we so what was the high 4.685 i think was the um mm. the high that we've reached you know it was only you know we only breached that 4.5 percent uh rounding barrier last week um as you say we've come back all the way down to as 4.58 i'm looking at just at the moment so we're down 10 basis points from the highs um let's remember that the government shutdown is uh, looks to be inevitable starting at midnight tomorrow um and as we were saying in monday's podcast you know history tells you that um Bond yields have tended to attract something of a sort of safe haven support in conjunction with, you know, at least mm. in the initial phases of a shutdown, weaker equities. And, you know, obviously, you know, taking the sites out and looking at the last few weeks, equities are very weak. So, um, you know, again, there might be something uh, something going on there, at least anyway. But uh, as I say, coming into the end of the month, I'm still just a little bit hesitant to, to sort of overinterpret some of these moves. Yeah, well, and interesting, wouldn't it? If President G's coming and there's no government workers to try and organise his visit, that could be a bit problematic, couldn't it, if no one's <laughs> around for most of next month? So, look, today, uh, I guess the big number today is the core PCE deflator for August for the United States. Uh, could we actually see a, a US inflation number, a core number that starts with three today? Well, that's what the consensus says. So uh, 0.2 monthly rise, which is the same as we had in July, would see the annual rate dip to 3.9 from 4.2. Um, and the last time we had a three in front of the core PCE deflator was September 2021. So that's a good, uh, almost a full two years ago now. So, um, you know, that's going to get a lot of headlines, isn't it, if we do see a three in front of it? 
it. And if we do get another point two, uh, it does say that the, you know the annualized rate is tracking at uh, no higher than two and a half percent. So I think that would be good news. And just sort of you know thinking about the Fed and thinking about a lot of the volatility we've had in markets on the, on the few occasions where we have had downside surprises on either CPI or that PCE deflator. You know, they have triggered some big market moves, you know, more confidence that uh, that the Fed in particular might be done tightening, even though that obviously hasn't uh, hasn't yet proved to be the case. We've had good rallies in equities and we've seen the US dollar coming off. So, you know, were we to get a point one, for example, today, then, um, you know, I think that could uh, potentially have some quite big implications running into the weekend. And how will that map to the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, the final read? Because they, of course, have their inflation expectations for a year out. It was 3.5 percent. That comes down. I don't know if the central banks pay too much attention to that these days, do they? But if they think if the consumers are seeing inflation coming down, then hopefully it will. Well, remember that this is the final number. There is interest in it because the preliminary number that we had uh, 10 days or so ago showed that five to 10 year reading coming down from three to 2.7. Um, which I think there's a, there's a view that that might have been a little bit of an anomaly. So there is actually a consensus um, that it might nudge back up to 2.8 in, in the final reading. 2.7 was the lowest we've had for a long time. So certainly a little bit of interest there. But if it does if it does nudge higher, I don't think that's going to scare the the horses too much. They'd rather think, yeah, we thought 2.7 was probably the wrong number yeah. earlier in the month. So the one year out is probably not going to change too much then. Or the, yeah, that tends to sort of run up and down with, with oil prices, et cetera. Yeah. So with, with gasoline yeah. prices having gone up, it wouldn't be surprised to see uh, to see that out. But I think it would right. be some really ignored. We must move on. Swag of data from Japan. Uh, could that be uncomfortable reading for the Bank of Japan today? Well, high inflation readings don't seem to be making the Bank of Japan uncomfortable. <laughs> Let's move on. So mm. we are expecting some small decreases, although you know small decreases that have been expected haven't, bought, haven't been borne out. We've, we've had more upside than downside surprises there. I mean, the messaging out of the uh, Bank of Japan last week um, on Monday and, uh, and through the week, uh, uh, to me, you know, my read of it has been that um, the BOJ is going nowhere. In the minutes of the last meeting, uh, there was one lone hawk, if, if there's such a thing as a hawk exists on the Bank of Japan, who was saying, that well, we might be uh, close to meeting the inflation target. And therefore, next year, next year, not this year, we might have a think about changing policies. And that's the most hawkish BFJ member. So mm. um, I don't think whatever these numbers show, they're going to have a, have a big impact. But if we do see another rise, particularly in that sort of core, core ex-food and energy um, number for September, um, it's expected to be 3.9 from 4.0. If it still prints four or north of four, then you know, economists will still be saying, you know, you aren't serious about saying you aren't meeting your inflation target. But I, don't, I still don't think that's going to translate into any shift early shift in BOJ policy. And Australian housing credit data today, actually private sector credit more generally, uh, it has been expanding. As Tapas was saying yesterday, that's not what tight monetary policy is supposed to do. So if the uh, so if the RBA is doing its job, then surely we should start seeing those numbers contracting a little bit. Well, remember the monthly numbers. I think I was looking at the last sort of five or six numbers. The last uh, two numbers have been 0.3, and I think we've had a sort of 0.2 and a 0.4 before that. Mm. So, you know, 0.3 on the month, 3.6% annual credit growth, um, yeah. you know, much less than nominal GDP. I don't think that uh, 
you can accuse the uh, the the, uh, the 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 banking sector of being profligate in that sense in terms of of lending. So I think, uh, and it's not tends not to be a market mover. So unless it's something wildly different from point three, right? I think markets will quickly move on. Okay, uh, we've got a long weekend coming up, of course, uh, but it we but that doesn't mean the numbers don't stop coming. So uh, on Saturday, or is it? Or yeah, it's Saturday our time, isn't it? So the official China PMIs. Uh, so uh, yeah, are they edging uh, into positive territory? So, well, that will be important. And we're also going to get the uh, Chai Xin versions on Sunday. Um, some confusion. I think some calendars have them for today, but I'm pretty sure it's on Sunday. Uh, and China is on holiday all next week, by the way, which is, which is of note. And we have seen that the, the Chinese Yuan has actually strengthened a little bit offshore. And it looks like the, the PBOC might be sort of pulling out the stops a bit more aggressively to, to prevent, you know, dollar CNY jumping up through 730, you know, ahead of that holiday period. And so, you know, not um, coincidentally, we have seen the Aussie doing a little bit better overnight. So I think that uh, that might be part of the reason, alongside the fact that, uh, say, US bond yields have pulled back a little bit and, and risk sentiment in the US has improved. And it's been that negative sentiment, which has clearly you know, been putting Aussie under the pump. Now, as we talked, Tapas was saying yesterday, he was talking about how Jerome Powell's got this town hall session with lots of, Q, lots of Q&As. Unfortunately, that is happening right as we're recording this podcast, so we can't actually tell you what's happening. But if you are a NAB customer and you get the research note, it'll all be in there, won't it? So uh, so look out for that. And you were mentioning, you know, the inflationary aspects or the, you know, the the how the drive for renewable energy uh, might be putting pressure uh, on resources. That is exactly what we're talking about this weekend on the, uh, the morning call weekend edition so virginia christie from wa's economic regulation authority uh, is talking about how this uh, this transition could be uh, drive us uh, give us another period of high inflation like we saw during the mining boom and only, only potentially worse so uh, we'll talk about that on the weekend edition which is out later today it's all going on isn't it ray it is indeed i'm looking forward to uh, to listening to that so uh, yes, we're taking the day off on monday because uh, quite a chunk of australia is on holiday but we are back on uh, tuesday morning so uh, we'll see you then thanks ray thanks phil and if you subscribe to this podcast you'll get the weekend edition dropped into your feed uh, later on today that's it for me i'm phil dobby for now thanks for listening